All right, welcome everyone to the show, Sports Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max, Live 365, iHeartRadio. We have a legend in the building, Cool Rock Ski, a legend in the making, City the Great, for Sports Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max. You already know what it is. How are you guys doing tonight? How's everything going? Chilling, man. We chilling. Um, City, you can tell them how you doing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm vibing, man. I'm chilling. Feeling blessed, you know what I mean? Yeah. So th- this is going to be a-, a history lesson tonight because we all know what Cool Rock Ski, man, because he's got so much history behind him with the Fat Boy, the Disco 3. So I, I want to get into a little bit of, of the group, and then I, w- I want to get into how you guys kind of met, and then in your introduction to the Fat Boys as a student of the game, City of the Great. So we're going to be three-man weaving this uh, in this okay. interview a little bit here. So, so City of the Great. Man, it's been a long journey, but how do you reflect on just everything? Because I've heard you describe everything as just a blur because there's a moment now where, you know, everything when you after the the group kind of just broke up, especially when you and Buff were doing the thing after Marky D left to do some solo work. And you've talked about just becoming a regular person. So how do you look back on this blur? Because you are such a part of iconic piece of history. Um, you know what? I, I describe it to City and, and a few artists, either whether they're coming up or want to get into the the business. It, it's it's almost like a facade, almost. So it's like facade oasis, however you want to um, describe it, because it's, it comes and goes so quick. You understand? I mean, unless you want to stay in it, um, you start doing some some outlandish um, things to make to keep yourself relevant. You understand? So. For me, it was like um, once, I guess once Buff passed away, I lost the feel for it. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people say, well, you could have kept on and you could have represented him. But it's not, I mean, that's like just, you know, that's just um, somebody from the outside looking in. Nobody can tell another person how to live their life or how to grieve. You understand? So um, for me, it's just, um, it was a blur in a lot of ways, because it went by so quick, like I said. It went by like we was 16, 15 years old when we entered, and about 22 years old when we exited as far as a group, being together as a group. So it pretty much was a blur. But between all that, we did a lot of hard work, you understand? So it's, um, it's, you know, the music industry, the entertainment industry as a whole, you remember back is then when you were really um, one big party, you know? And it's like, okay, I'll put it like this. I think it was Cat Williams that said this a long time ago, not too long ago. But he said the entertainment industry is like a big party. And you're standing outside all day, I mean, all night, rather, to get inside this party. And you get into the party, and you think it's, it's what is supposed to be. You think it's something big. But it's nothing but people just standing around doing nothing. You understand? So that's how, for me, that's how it was. Um, After I got out of it. And I'm telling people, this is what it really is about. It's not about you coming in here and having sex with every girl you want to have sex with and being in the best hotels and being in first class flights and all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff that comes with that. You understand what I'm saying? So you never really relax. You never can feel relaxed 
when you're it's popular or you're in this entertainment yeah, industry. You know, because the you people know, around you won't let you relax. No, this is a money-making business. So they're going to keep you, they're going to drain you until there's nothing left. You understand? And once there's nothing left, they're like, okay, you're on your own. You're now a civilian again. Go out and have fun. You know, we don't need you anymore. You know what I'm saying? So you gotta you gotta do what you have to do to survive, you know. We didn't know how to write a check. We didn't know how to do anything. Everything was laid out for us. Everything is laid out for you when you're in the entertainment industry, when you're popular, your clothes are laid out for you, your schedule, everything is laid out. People are writing stuff, people are writing your checks for you. We didn't know how to balance a checkbook. Somebody had to balance it for us. So that's um and it cripples you in a way. It kind of cripples you. Um, it forces you to grow up really quick, extremely quick. You know, uh, I loved it. I loved every second of it. But at the end of the day, it, it kind of made you. It kind of made you a recluse in some ways. You know, because you were so used to being catered to that when it was over, you're walking around. You know, you're walking around looking at people like, like you know, like like you're an alien. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not really real and. That's what it does to you. It kind of triples you, especially if you're young getting into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it, it definitely uh, just the iconic pieces I mentioned before and just living, carrying the legacy on. You know, when we look back at the start of it, because you guys started out on the same block because you and Marky e. D, I think you met during a snowstorm and you asked him about right. his his uh, favorite sports star. And then you met Buff a little bit later on. And I did want to ask you about this because I heard about your mother being the president of your block. So was she involved <laughs> in kind of like <laughs> some community <laughs> service? Was she into like politics with the community? How did your mom get involved with being the president of the block? She was president of the block association. One thing about Brooklyn cities from East New York, just like I am. Uh, one thing about um, Brooklyn back then, it was a neighborhood. Um, people started calling it a hood after a while. They started cutting up the neighbor and just started calling it a hood. We call it a neighborhood because it was a close-knit neighborhood. Um, yeah, you had crime, you had whatever, but um, we stuck together. And so my mother, she was into raising money for the block. So we had a lot of lots on our block. We had a lot of lots, open lots. And what she would do, she would make gardens out of these lots. The other women on the block would join her to make gardens out of the lot to, to, make the, to make the block look a lot better. We had a huge rat infestation on the block. She got the city to come around to start putting out traps um, because the cats weren't doing it. They were, just, they were lazy. They would eat a rat per day and they leave the block and come back. So we had to start getting traps for the rats. So um, she was a Democrat. Um, so she was in charge of the Democratic Club. The congressman, he lived only like the congressman of um of of of, of Brooklyn. Um, I think it was Ed Towns, I think that was his name. He lived like maybe three like three blocks away from us. Um but you know it, it she was she was um she was a leader, um, but at the same time. It's like the 75th precinct was only like four blocks away from us. And at that time, when I was growing up, the cops were beat cops, which means they walked around. They didn't do the whole driving around kind of stuff. Um, they didn't drive two in a car until I got like maybe like 13, 14 years old. When I was growing up, it was like one in the car. Um, so it was a close-knit block. The projects right down the block from me, Linden Houses, it was clean. It was immaculate. 
the lawn was, was kept up. We didn't live in a ghetto. You understand what I'm saying? If we lived in a ghetto, we didn't know it. So when Cass is always saying this, I grew up, man, I grew up around crazy. No, I didn't see no crazy shit. It was crazy shit there, but we didn't, you know, we didn't engage in that. We weren't tough guys. You understand? So we let the tough guys be tough guys, and we just grew up as kids, just having fun. Mm -hmm. So um, my mother made sure of that, too. So, you know. No, that was important. And as far as you guys, because you were in the football, so were you and Mark on like the same team in high school? How or were you kind of just in the sports with different, <laughs> at different teams? No, my football career ended early. So my football career started at I eight and ended at question. sixteen. Um, because yeah, I Wait, couldn't get thanks. the, I couldn't play the position I wanted what? to play. I had a, I had a um, an arm like a rocket. You know, I'm, I was, I was good at being a quarterback. Um, so I got to high school. Me and Buff went to the same high school, by the way. Thomas Jefferson and Mark went to Canarsie um, High School. And I got, I wanted to join the football team. And I went out for quarterback. Buff went out for running back. Um, they wanted to keep Buff, by the way. They, they, but Buff quit because I quit. I quit because I couldn't play the position. I wanted to be quarterback. They said, I don't have the height to be quarterback because I can't look over the linemen. So they wanted me to play running back. I didn't have the speed. They wanted me to play defensive back. I didn't have the speed. So finally, I said, you know what? I just don't have the, you know, I just can't do this anymore. So I quit, you know, so my football career ended. But I got a jersey out of it. I got a football jersey out of it because I wanted to be connected with the cheerleaders. You know? So the cheerleaders would only date the guys who wore the, the, the football jerseys, you know. So Buff quit the same day I quit. He, he left, uh, left the field and we you know, walked up into the sunset together. And that was the end of our football career. And you and Buff were were basically hanging out, and I heard the story that you were checking his pockets, but right box, and you didn't know what yeah. it was, right? Yeah, me, me, Buff, and a, and a uh, childhood friend of mine named Jimmy. He went on to have a hit record um, with another guy we grew up with, Scott Burrell, I think it was, and I was rapping the the verse of um, "Heartbeat" by Treacherous Three, Kumo D's part. And he started beatboxing. Before all that, he had moved on the block. And um, he was this kid that was came around the block on a skateboard. And we're like, wow, well, kid, he's he's kind of big. Like he's big as hell. And he's what he's riding the skateboard. Very athletic, extremely athletic. He could skate, he could skate backwards, that kind of stuff. And um, so me and him became close really quick because I was more like, um, I was into the same kind of things he was into, which was rapping. And every time he see me, I was always doing some kind of rapping or whatever. And I didn't know he could beatbox like that until we were in one of the open lots. And I started rapping the treacherous three heartbeat. And he just started doing the beatbox. And so we were like, you know, at first me and Jimmy were like, you know, what the fuck was that? And, yo, that was you? And he was like, yeah, that was me. Like, yeah, right. So do that again. And we started checking his pockets. We told him to open his mouth. Like, yo, that can't. So we started looking at him like he was weird. Because honestly, Buff had so much power doing that. It was like Buff was doing like to make fun of it. First of all, we never heard of nothing like that. So we never heard of Dougie Fresh. So therefore, we never heard of nothing like that. So that was amazing to us anyway. So, um, we started telling people to come around different neighborhoods and people started coming around. Buff became kind of a, a, a neighborhood celebrity from just doing beatbox. 
And so me and Mark, uh, me and just two of us, and Mark and another guy named Jimmy, we had two Jimmys. We had a black Jimmy and a Spanish Jimmy. So him and Spanish Jimmy formed a group together. But Jimmy started doing this, um, you know, the freestyle music, like, uh, you know, T guy's name were and you know um cover girls kind of music he was into that and mark was like no nah, i'm not into that kind of music so he joined us so that's how we became we weren't called the disco three at first we weren't called disco three hypnotized five right hypnotized five after we got with cardi d and um it was cardi d and uh i think the sonic force mc so and we got with them. We kind of merged together. But then we called ourselves Hypnotized Five. And, but they weren't coming to practice. They didn't want to come to practice. They didn't take it seriously. No. In high school. And we tell them, yo, you coming to practice? They would say, yeah, we're coming. And they would never show up. So we made, we gave them like this ultimatum. Ultimatum. If they don't show up today, that's it. We're going to just keep it as us three. What happened? They didn't show up, so we just kept it as um disco three. How did you find out about this contest that would change your life with the Coca Cola WBLS? Because Kango Kid was there. There were there was a, lot, a couple yeah. legendary acts there. So how did you find out about this contest that would change your life? Get get you a uh, record deal. Our sister, my sister, we were always on the porch rapping. And so one day she pulled up. She had like this little orange kind of pinto. Um, she was like maybe. 21 at the time, so she was still very young. And she jumped out the car. She said, um, you guys are always doing this rapping stuff. Um, y'all should join this contest called the, um, the rap, it's a rap and dance contest. So the first thing we thought of was like, can't join no contest. Like, you know, I think she said the first place prize was a recording contract. We're like, so we just brushed it off because we're like, oh recording God. contracts is for professionals. It's not for us. So um, as time went on, we started hearing it more and more on the radio. The station was called WBLS. And um, so we said, you know what? We're going to join the contest. And so that Saturday, um, we woke up in the morning and we we never really left the block like that. Uh, the farthest we went was like to Bed-Stuy and play other teams in football go out of Brooklyn. So that was our first time being in the Bronx. We went to the disco fever. Um, I was kind of like, um, my mother was very strict. So I couldn't really leave the block like that anyway. Neither one of us can. So uh, one Saturday morning and we didn't get back home to like maybe 930, 10 o'clock at night. Cause we my finals at the we weren't supposed to win the semifinals. We went up there with another act called the Bad Boys. And we went up there with them. So when we got up there, one of the guys, one of the bouncers told Buff, you guys are next. He said, what's the name of your group? We said, this laughing. Because there was a rap group called the Disco Four. So he said, and he gave us this number. And he put the, this, this kind of number around Buff's neck, who was next to um, go on stage. We went up there, it was Curtis Blow, um, I think it was Starsky, Lovebook Starsky, may he rest in peace, Sal Albatello, who owned the Disco Fever. Uh, we got it. 
And so as soon as we started rapping, because we freestyled, mind you, we didn't know what the hell we were going to do once we got so Mark turned to me and said, yo, just freestyle. So we started rapping something that we already knew. So I took his lead, and when Buff did the beatbox, that place just went freaking crazy. So we knew right then, I think we won this, because they, they, they went crazy in there. That place was wild. Even the rappers who were in the contest were going crazy. They hadn't seen nothing like that before as far as Buff doing the beatbox. So we got off stage, and um, I think like three or four more acts went on. And after that, they called our name, said, Disco 3, winners of the semifinals. No. And, and two weeks later was the finals at Radio City Music Hall, and we won the finals. And then Curtis Blow, you, you didn't realize that you'd be working with him because you know how it is in the music industry. It's, you got to take everything at face value. And you, you ended up working with them. And I think when we look at it, it's crazy to see how he was making the fat boys, the big song and working on your first two albums and the success yeah. that you had together. And I think <laughs> Melly Mel was coming through the studio. You had all these. Like, it, was, it was so many people coming, coming through that studio. Russell Simmons was being nosy. Um, cause he wanted to see what Kurt was working on. Mind you, Kurt was, um, Russell Simmons was Curtis Blow's manager. So we had so many people coming through. Melly Mel was always stopping by. Um, so it's like pretty much the who's who, who was hot at that time was stopping through the studio. Um, so by the time we got to, um, the second album, it was just so many. Russell was coming through that studio like every freaking night almost just to see what we were up to. You know, by the second album, because uh, by then our name was hot. You know, we were we had pushed out our gold album, <clears throat> so we was Run DMC's competition. So he wanted to see what the competition was all about. But leading up to that, leading up to that first album, everything was just Curtis Blow just being, um, just putting together songs for us, and he would lay down the beat. He would give us the chorus. He would say, "Yo, Mark, cool rock, y'all got to go in there, right?" And he would, he would encourage us to write because he said writing is how you want to stay paid for the rest of your life. At the time, we had no idea what he was talking about. We, we thought it was like a job. We get paid every week because we wrote some raps or whatever. But um, he was talking about our publishing and our royalties. So he said, I'm going to let y'all write your own stuff because I want y'all to stay paid for the rest of your lives. So um, we just started writing rhymes every time he would throw something on. We did a lot of songs. So a lot of the songs that you hear on that particular LP, the first Fat Boys, we did like maybe 25 to 30 songs. Um, I wish we could find some of those songs, but um, we did a lot of songs. Yeah. Stick'em, that's a huge one. I mean, when we, we go down the line, Stick'em's been referenced so many times, just hearing stories, people in the back of school buses back in the days in high school rapping that. Yeah. Just so many references everywhere. And and, and we, it, Curtis Blow telling you to write your own rhymes, it's such a real thing. And I did hear that you kind of didn't know because especially you were so young and you were doing it because you, you were having fun doing it. You weren't keeping up with the money. Was your manager kind of hip to what was going on with the finances or did you kind of ever get to the bottom of that when you look back? Cause a lot of hip hop artists were taken advantage of back then. Um, let's be honest. Um, artists taking advantage of now, but exactly. I mean, back, yeah. A hundred percent. But back then, um, it was different for the fact that we had no idea what we were signing. So it's easy to take advantage of a person who never really had nothing. So if you give somebody like $50,000, um, whether it be in cash or check, um, 
most of the time the labels are looking at it like you would have never made this kind of money again in life anyway. Yeah. So what the hell yeah. are you complaining about kind of thing? So I think I think everybody was – see, our manager, you got to understand one thing about him. He was an over-the-top – I always call him the black, the white version of Dame um, Dash. Don, yeah, well, not Dame Dash, Don King. Don King, because I've Don heard that, King, yeah. because yeah, Don King was very smart, extremely smart individual. Um, but Don King thing was just like our managers kind of like, um, I made a half a million dollars for a fight, but I only walked away with $110,000. Well, that's $110,000 more that you had when I, when I met your ass, you didn't have nothing. That's the kind of mentality he had. So it was like, yeah, the money was good in the beginning. Because we had we had to we could we can walk right past our manager's office and go right into um, the record company's owner office, which was Morris Morris Levy, and we can call. Hey, Morris, I need like twenty grand. Okay, come up and get it. Morris, I need like fifty grand. Okay, come up and get it. So we were walking right past his office to get this money. That was pretty much our money, but he wanted full control of the group. After all, he put the group together. Well, we were together, but he took us to another heights as far as, you know, being our manager. So he looked at it like he didn't want to lose the group. So the the thing he did was the third album, uh, we forfeited the third album to the record company. Um, I was telling City this, um, we were selling on average 875000 um, per album, right? Eventually, these albums were platinum. But you got to look at it like this. You're in an independent company with no overhead. So the company is making in excess of maybe $4.5 to $5 million per album, right? So they're making money. They're making uh, boatloads of money. Um, so our manager looked at it like, I can forfeit this third album and give it to them, let them have it, and let the guys walk away. We go to another company. Okay. So that's what happened. We 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 um we left the label, which I, I didn't want to leave the label. Um so we got to Polygram Records. And you know, we hit a grand slam on our first album off the Polygram label and we went platinum plus. So, you know, everybody's dancing and singing and being happy about it. You know, but the thing about this music, the thing about this industry is that you're never going to get what you're worth. And I would tell every artist this. If Michael Jackson, Jackson can get ripped off, what makes you think you can't get ripped off? Everybody gets ripped off. Nobody walks away with it, with it, you know. You have to be aligned to something really, really deep to walk away unscathed in this shit. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's not about who got ripped off in the back of the day. You, you're never going to get what you want because if you look at it like that, look at the artists from the 50s and the 40s and the 60s and the 70s. They were getting choked way worse than us. You know, I've heard stories of R&B groups um, back in the 70s who was getting paid like no more than maybe 20, 20, 20 grand a show. You're talking about the band and the act. You understand what I'm saying? And at the, pop, at the height of our popularity, we were getting like maybe 35 to 45,000 a show. Sometimes we do shows for, you know, off the tour. And you talk about 35 to 45,000 per show on a tour. So that's per night. Um, 
But then you go, you can do shows for somebody else, for a promoter who can give you like $100,000 in one night, just do a show, a um, 20-minute show. So that's what it was like back then. So a lot of the shows that we were getting, that we were turning down, it's like Ducky Fresh was telling me one day, a lot of the shows y'all was turning down was given to Biz Markie, given to Big Daddy Kane, was given to Ducky Fresh. Um, because we had, we, we was up to our necks with so many shows and being in hot demand that we couldn't take a lot of shows, you know. Madonna, I heard Madonna wanted you on there. She wanted you on tour. Yeah, they wanted us on tour. They wanted to pay us fifteen fifty per night. And our manager turned that down, like, you know, 1500 Plus, that wasn't our crowd. I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. Um, so, um, so it was true that and I think Beastie Boys talked about it in the documentary on Apple. And it was true. Um, Madonna's people did reach out to us for a show, but it was like 1550 per night. We we're like, nah, we don't need that. Like, we're making fucking 10-5 a night already. We're going to do a 1550 a night, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you brought up Michael Jackson because it was funny when you went to the Grammys and I think Mark was pointing, you, you were pointing, you were all pointing at him. He thought it was like a, an imposter or a lookalike Michael yeah. Jackson, right? And yeah, he came up to you and was a fan of you guys. Yeah, the fact that Michael Jackson had just got off stage, I was like, why would he? Why would they use an imposter? I didn't think about it. We're having this discussion while this man is walking towards us, like we're like talking through our teeth. Like, why the fuck would Michael Jackson have an imposter if he just got off? You know, we're talking like that until he finally made his he made his way over to us and just started talking to us and was like, you know, it's kind of like an out of body experience. You know, meeting Michael Jackson and shaking his hand and looking at this guy's like, this can't be real right now. Like, this is Michael Jackson. This is the inter- this is the entertainment business and on two legs. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Like, this is Michael Jackson. He just gave us so much praise, man. I'm like, and I'm staring at him like, this guy knows who the fuck we are. Like, oh, shit. you know what I'm saying? So it, it kind of bugs you out. Uh, we was on cloud nine after that. Mind you, we were invited to the Grammys because of the, the pretty good year that we had on our Crushing album. Crushing was huge, uh, yeah. Yeah, Crushing was a big album. So Run DMC was there as well. And they did an opening monologue for the Grammys as far as racking. So when the ceremonies were ending, um, one of the stagehands walked up to us, a young lady, and she asked, um, she told us we have to be on stage for the closing finales. So we had no idea. Our manager had no idea. Uh, I thought he set that up, but he had no idea. So he, I mean, through the whole night, he was just being so, you know, over the top. I mean, he was telling Tina Turner to sit down. Michael Jackson's on stage. And Tina Turner was standing up. She's right, sitting right in front of us. He's tapping her and hey, sit down. My guys can't see. I'm like, dude, that's fucking Tina Turner. Like, calm down. But that's how crazy he was. So they told us to come on stage. And there was a bunch of other acts up there. So um, they just wanted us to be on stage and acknowledge us, and, you know, kind of being the first rappers to be on the Grammys, us and run DMC. So we had, it was a good night. We had a lot of fun that night, you know. Monumental. And I'm going to swing this to Crush Group because when we bring up Michael Jackson, we always bring up Prince. Prince was, do you have a Prince story of him being on the set? Because you, I did hear he was coming there because of Sheila E. So do you have a Prince story of going up to him or him coming up to you guys? Yeah, Prince came. Prince came to the set one day um, because of Sheila E, of course. Yeah. And the uh, the director, Michael Schultz, he told everybody in the audience it was like maybe eight hundred people. 
out in the audience, um, you know, just background people, that Prince is coming to the set today. And he's on the loudspeaker, he's in the megaphone or whatever. And he's saying, please do not interact with him. Do not talk to him. Do not look at him. I'm like, dude, this is New York. Like, these these are New Yorkers. That's not going to go well. You know, they're already riled up. Just by seeing LL walk back and forth, nobody really knew who LL was, but he was always rapping to the crowd. You know, we wasn't shooting scenes. You know, Beastie Boys were there. Uh, Run DMC is there. Um, Jalil and, and Ecstasy from Houdini is coming by the set. Uh, we're there. So the crowd is already riled up um, just seeing their favorite rap stars up there. So in Prince, you're talking like Prince, don't look at him, don't say anything to him. So he finally comes to the set. And just just so happened, me and Buff are horsing around like we always do on the damn set. And he kind of pushed me. And when he pushed me, I kind of fell back into Prince. Like I seen him at the corner of my eye. I seen him, you couldn't miss that big ass bodyguard he had. And when I backed up into him, he kind of just kind of held me up. And I looked like, I looked back like, oh shit, that's Prince. And he just kind of see he had like a little smirk on his face, but he just kept walking with this stride, this stride that he had. But his bodyguard, who was like the size of a fucking building, he was like, you know, he gave me the death stare. I'm like, damn, that is a big human being like that. Is huge, you know. But um, yeah, Prince came there. Um, he didn't come back out. He just he went to the dressing room and he just sat there all day. I think Sheila E went to go visit him in the dressing room. Well, we, yeah, the, the legendary moments. I mean, Crush Groove, just a big movie. And I did hear about Russell Simmons kind of wanting, wasn't happy about expanding the role of you guys because you wanted just yeah. to be one DMC. But so many iconic scenes, all you can eat. I heard that the food was old and you're spitting it in buckets and all that stuff. But yeah. I love the scene when you're trying to get into the club and you hand him the fake IDs and it's like all skinny guys and the bodyguards. Yeah. Would you blow up overnight? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that was uh, that was Michael Schultz's idea. You know, Michael Schultz had fun with us because um, it was one part of the movie that we were shooting and me and Mark was, was joking behind him. We was like behind, like, you know, he was standing there, we were behind him joking around. And we was making up these crazy names of people, these characters we would make up. And um, so Buff had walked over. I remember this vividly because he had turned around and told us, this is not an act. Like, you guys are really, you guys are really like this. You guys are really crazy like this. And Buff had walked over. We just started, like, beating the living shit out of him for some reason. Like, just, that's how we just played around. We just, we always played so rough that our parents would be like, yeah, cut that out. Y'all guys are playing too rough. And he just turned around and he was like, you guys are really, you guys are really crazy. Like, this is not an act. Like, you guys are really fucking sick. Right? So that's when he started incorporating us more into the movie because he started like, he, he knew it was genuine. Like, this wasn't no thing where Buff was from the Bronx. I was from Brooklyn. Mark was from Staten Island. And somebody brought us together. Like, we actually grew up together, you know. So, um, to, Russ, to Russell Simmons' dismay, because he wanted it to be an all-run DMC movie and us to have, like, maybe two minutes of a cameo, which is dumb, um, we started getting written more and more into the movie. So he would come on the set and just pop a lot of shit. This is a run DMC. He would say stuff subliminal shit to our manager. This is a run DMC movie. Like, he'll yell it out, you know, that kind of stuff. My manager would be, like, laughing at him. He would never say it to him, but he'll just yell it out. This is a run DMC movie. 
this is a run DMC. Always remember that. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. I think it was better with, with them adding you in. I mean, you had other acts. Uh, New Edition was there, and they were like the first R&B act to bring yeah. to embrace hip-hop and bring you guys on tour. LL Cool J was there, of course, Beastie Boys. I mean, yeah. just uh, Curtis Blow, Sheila E., of course. But, I mean, yeah. th- these movies that you were in because you're getting the big picture deals from Warner Brothers and just all these disorderlies. I mean, you, you were really kind of like the first rap superstars as far as actors goes. But the sneakers, I did want to ask you about the sneakers because we look at Run DMC, we think of Adidas, but on your album covers, I saw you guys kind of rocking Nikes. What was the Fat Boy sneaker? Oh, man, we our sneaker game was on point. I was a sneaker fanatic. Like, you would walk in my room, you think you'd walk into the Foot Locker. You know, I was a sneaker <laughs> fanatic. I was into colors, so I would buy all these different kind of colors. Um, Mark was into the, I think the Scarachis, is that what they call Harachis, Harachis, yeah. yeah. Mark was he he loved those those yellow and black ones. Buff was into the the Nike and Adidas. Um, then I started rocking the Ewings. I think on the yeah. on the crushing, I had the Ewings on. Um, yeah, but we were just sneakerheads, man. And a lot of the stuff came from um, Mark and Buff would look at what I was wearing. Yeah, where'd you get those from? And I would tell him with the Foot Locker. And they'll get something totally different, though. Like, well, I don't want those. I just want to know you got them from, like, you be going to all these sneakers. So I would go all around New York looking for the dopest sneakers. That's how much of a sneaker I had. I wish I would have kept them sneakers to this day. <laughs> um, I bought the Jordans in 84 when they first came out. And, God, I wish I would have kept them sneakers. And uh, I think I told CD this story. I had wore them, and I didn't like the way they fit. It felt like he was walking on rocks. And I walked around the house. I never went outside with him. And I put him back in the box. I put him in my closet. And that was it. Now, when I moved out that particular house, I must have threw that box away. Because at that time, I really could have gotten Michael Jordan's autograph. Yeah. You know, I could have really gotten his autograph. Just imagine, I mean, hindsight is definitely 2020. Those sneakers probably wouldn't worth like about a good three, four million dollars right now. Uh, probably you know, autograph and and those sneakers being the first ones first pair yeah yeah first pair yeah you're a cowboy fan so that had to be interesting going to make the record about the fridge and meeting him down there right uh, William perry <laughs> yeah mark was a giants fan so he would always um he would always rub it in that's when the cow when i when i became i'm not became a cowboys fan when when we were out, rather, we were out as the Fat Boys. The Cowboys were a horrible team. It was going through a downslide period. And Mark would make fun of the Cowboys. And so one day, um, our manager said, um, we're going to do a song for the, the Chicago Bears. So I, well, why? What can we do a song for the Cowboys? And he explained to us who the fridge was. Um, so we knew who the fridge was. Like, why would the fridge want us to make a song about it? He said, he don't. They're going to make it because he's popular right now. So <laughs> <laughs> we're in the studio, made this song about the refrigerator. Um, he wanted to meet us. He was huge yeah, fans cool. of ours to begin with. So we went down to Chicago and we met, we met Walter Payton. We met Jim McMahon. We met the fridge, of course. We met Mike Ditka. Um, they gave us an autograph. Um, they autographed that ball, the 86 um, Chicago Bears. I lost the freaking football. Oh, man. Lost the Jordans and lost the football. 
Man, not not good with the sports memorabilia. I, I mean, not at all. <laughs> dude, a fan of mine, I don't know how much of this is true because I never went to get it praised. A fan of this guy, he walked, he um he came to the house one day. He said, I want you to have this. And I looked at the baseball. I said, What is this? He said, This is Willie May's autograph. So I just took it like, all right, thanks, man. I threw it in my room. And then I got rid of that. I'm like, and the guy showed me later, he said, what you ever do with that baseball? And I lied to him. I said, I still got it, but I threw it away. I, I thought he was bullshit, and I didn't know that was really Woody Mays' autograph on the baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not good with that stuff. Oh, uh, no, but you have the story with Tyson running up on you, too, and you're a big boxing guy, so that had to feel like yeah. just another amazing upper echelon there, <laughs> meeting the GOAT yeah. pretty much next to Muhammad Ali. Yeah, Michael, uh, Mike Tyson running up and um, cursing me out. Um, Mike Tyson cursed me out worse than Russell Simmons cursed me and Mark out at the Palladium one night. Um, but Mike was bipolar, you know what I'm saying? I, well, I, I mean, look, looking at it now, he had to be bipolar when he was cursing me out. Then he'll be cool with me one second, and then he'll get back to cursing me out. Because I said something in the in, in interview that I was going to take his girlfriend away from him. I had no idea these idiots would run that story and they ran the story and people was walking up to me. They, after they saw the article, yo, you got beef with Mike? No, I don't. You read the paper? No. Well, there's an article that is a, it's part of the story that says you're going to take my Tyson girlfriend away and he going to knock him out. I said, they put in that shit. And he's like, yeah. It's in <laughs> and I think it's in New York post. And so we went to the garden one night, me and Mark, and this is the funny part that Mark um, almost got into a fight with Play from Kid and Play. Um, I think it was over, it had to be over Pepper because Mark, uh, Mark had broke up with Pepper at this time. But um, so that was funny in itself to see Mark going after Play. I'm like, and Play just being like, yo, I ain't got no beef with you. Because, you know, Mark is a big dude. Mark is a, he was solid, Mark, you know, solid dude. And so I'm leaning against the wall. I think I'm talking to Chuck Chillout, if I'm not mistaken. And through my side eye, I see a bunch of guys come up, you know, walking down the hall. We're backstage. And out of nowhere, before I can even look over, he's on me. Like, he's on me, like, in my face. <clears throat> yo, you punk motherfucker. What you say you gonna do to me? You say you gonna knock me out? Yo, I mean, yeah, I see my life flashing from my eyes because you know he's not <laughs> stable. You know what I'm saying? We we grew up, we said he know what kind of dude, what kind of dude Mike is. We we seen cats like that growing up, so we know these kind of cats ain't stable. So I'm like, oh man, this guy about to knock me the fuck out in front of all these people. So we just go. Now I'm just playing with you, man. You know I'm a big fan of yours. So I made the mistake in asking him, when is he going to fight Holyfield? And that just tricking him off again. Yo, you bitch-ass motherfucker. When I do fight him, I'm going to put you in the front seat. And, and yeah, just the way he went off that time when he he said, yo, when he was at the press conference with Lennox Lewis and he started going off. Oh, straight jacket, me. yeah. Straight jacket shit. I'm like, oh, shit, this motherfucker's really crazy. Like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> And that was, that was a scary moment. And then Mark was like, yo, you know what I'm saying? We just would have had to jump him. Right. You know how fucking quick that guy should have picked that out of us, man. This is, these are classic <laughs> stories. I mean, you, you got a lot of them, but 
You know, one that is really hilarious and, you know, being such a huge horror fan, I heard that you were a horror fan, Marvel fan. Mark was a huge horror fan I heard about. Huge, yeah. Are you ready for Freddy being on the set with Robert Englund and eventually bringing him up to the the club in Manhattan? But how was it being (laughs) on that set? Because that was like the actual house where the the first one was filmed and the the, the scenes from the other films. So how was it being on set there and and just any conversations with Robert Englund on the set and just your reaction to seeing him in that Freddy Krueger makeup? Oh, we talked to Robert England. Well, leading up to the video, we was talking to him a lot. And he was like, how much fun it's going to be? And you guys haven't seen me in my costume yet. Wait till you see my costume. I'm going to scare the shit out of you. You saw talking us like that. And um, so by the time we got, we did the, the video in Burbank, California, at a, a movie set in Burbank. And by the time we got there, um, I think it was like on the afternoon, if I'm not mistaken, so they rented us these mopeds. As you can see, the mopeds, we drove up and the whole thing is Mark getting this house uh, given to him by his uncle or something like that. And um, the actor who gave us the the deed to the house, he's like this, this legendary actor, you know what I'm saying? So you see him, but you never knew his name. So um, we get to the part of the boiler room and it is like, it's so hot in that place. And we had to shoot there for like maybe like eight hours um, in this hot boiler room. So uh, we turned to Freddy, to Robert Englund, like, yo, you're not hot in this shit? He's like, yeah, but I'm so used to wearing it. You know, it's like nothing to me. So we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun doing that. And um, so we had to promote the the song, um, Ready for Freddy. Because mind you, they turned down Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. That's why I, they put out their own song. Um, I did hear about Nightmare were, on My Street. Right, and because they put out this, they, they presented the song to them, but they didn't want it, so they put it out anyway. Um, so we got to the Palladium one night, and it's funny. So it's it's me, Buff, and Big Daddy Kane on stage. So before uh, we went into this whole freestyle thing, uh, Robert England is is coming on stage. So he's standing in back of us, you know, he's doing one of those weird B-boy stands, like people that make, like, kind of making fun of hip-hop, do that little B-boy stance thing or whatever. And somebody yells out in the crowd, yo, who the fuck is that white guy? <laughs> 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 it got kind of quiet when he came on stage. So we explained that. We said, yo, this is Freddy Krueger. So people are like, they don't know what to say. I knew you. I knew you. So we had to explain them who this guy was. So then you started hearing the roaring in the crowd. That is Freddy Krueger. People started yelling in the crowd, yo, Freddy, Freddy. That's how he was yelling. So um, we started rapping, and he started doing some weird dance behind us while we were rapping. It's kind of like when somebody is rapping for your favorite rapper and they start doing some kind of brick dancing dumb shit and you're like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like, don't do that. That's how, that's what he was back like, what the fuck is he doing? So that was, it was a funny night. Hilarious, man. And just, you know, you guys have been through so much and just have so much history. The wipeout with the the Beach Boys. I know you guys thought they were drifters on a beach. You met on the set of Disorderlies and the twist with Chubby Checker. I mean, what kind of me? Because I know it was always you wanted to get the MTV crowd. You, you are you guys 
killed the BET crowd. You had that on lock already. But what was it that yeah. they kind of, because you look at Run DMC, they were having them go with Walk This Way. Why do you think your manager was kind of gearing you towards working with like the Beach Boys and Chubby Checker instead of a kind of other acts? It's kind of strange right. when you look back at it, even though they were, they became hit records in their own right. Russell Simmons and Charlie Stetler, our manager, had one thing in mind. Russell Simmons had in mind for Run DMC was to conquer MTV. Charlie Stetler had one thing in mind for the Fat Boys was to conquer MTV. So that's how that came up with the Beach Boys. Um, Run DMC was successful with Walk This Way and Charlie followed suit. And he wanted to do a song with the Beach Boys and they they were on the set of um, Disorderly's movie. And that's how we met them. So we had no idea who they were at first because he was saying, well, the Beach Boys are coming here. So we were like, well, you know, who the fuck are the Beach Boys? Like, you know, we had really had no idea who they were. Um, we're thinking like, well, he said, he mentioned to us the Beach Boys at first. We were in the trailer. So we're like, oh yeah, that's that group that be like on the beach and stuff. Be like singing on the beach. So he's looking at us like, yeah, right. Like this is a fucking iconic group. Uh, so we kind of yeah. met them and they, um, they said, yeah, we're supposed to do we we're supposed to do a song with you guys. You guys do some kind of rapping or something like that. They didn't have no idea who the fuck we do. So I'm like, how did you put this together? We don't we have no idea who they are, they don't know who we are. So once we got back to New York, we did the song Wipeout. Um, and I guess it did their vocals in California. <laughs> and the song came out at a time where we were on kind of our high haters from the tour. We had to promote the movie, so we had to take a break from the tour and to promote the Disorderlies movie. So by the time we get back out on tour, Wipeout was like biggest song in, in a lot of different cities. So you can tell by the crowd um, how big the song was. You can always tell by the crowd when you got a hit song, you know, even if you're an established artist, if you got a new hit song, you get new audience, a new crowd. So by the time we got back on tour, that, that, that people was going, I mean, it was crazy. People was yelling in the crowd. We would do like maybe a half an hour of our music. You could still, after every song, people was yelling, wipe out, do wipe out, do wipe out. So, you know, that was like our closing song after a while. So a big song for us. And we wanted it to stop right there. Like, okay, we're cool with this shit. Like, we're cool with the wipe out. Let's get back to being disco three. Uh, if we, you know, we did the fat boy shit already. Let's get back to me again. We want to, you know, like, listen, like with anything in the music industry, if it's hot, you're going to keep on putting fire, putting um, gasoline on the fire. If it's hot, so you're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. So that's how the twist came up with Chubby Checker. Nothing against Chubby Checker, nothing against but that too. That took us away from our core audience. And so, you know, it was a thing where it expanded hip hop. Uh, Walk This Way expanded hip hop. Um, Wipeout expanded hip hop. Um, took us to a whole nother mainstream, so to speak. Um, of course, Beastie Boys came out and they took it to a whole nother level. Um, LL Cool J being, being himself um, took hip hop. But with us, I think our manager was more like, okay, you conquered the BET audience. Now we're going for more money and more money means top 40. You understand? So 
we never re- we never got back to that core audience again. So by the time we we we, we did our last album um, to try to reach that core audience again, our time has ran. You know, we have ran our course anyway. You know, so everything else was coming in. You know, and you had so. the most fun recording your last album on and on because the manager wasn't there. He's kind of more out of the picture. And it's crazy to just hear, like, when I hear these stories about him saying that you guys would be successful without Mark. Because, I mean, you guys started out together and you guys started out just as kids, you know, playing on the block. Right. And and you built up everything up until this point. So for him to want to cut Mark out of the group, it's like, yeah, see you later. It's That's not going to work. Yeah. It's us or nothing. Yeah, I think with him and Mark, Heads because um I think the thing with Mark was a lot of the stuff that we did doors Mark was doing out in public, you know. For our manager, we wanted a clean cut group that the kids can listen to see if they're about children. If you get the children, you get the parents are gonna buy whatever the kid wants. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So if we're reaching children. The children are like, I want the new Fat Boy song. I want the new Fat Boy. I want the new Fat Boy. Parent got to get it. So that's why he wanted us to be more um, kid oriented as, as far as, and you know, not the street kind of stuff. Where the fuck we're from. He came to our area a couple of times. So he know where we're from. You know, we're from one of the worst, you know, one of the toughest areas, not only in New York, in America. So he know where we're from. Um, but he knew what we wanted. He knew we weren't from the street. He can cast like a street cast. A tough area, but they're not street guys, you know. So for him, a lot of the stuff we did behind the scenes, like the drinking and the smoking and all that stuff. Um Buffy Buff started smoking cigarettes. I don't know where the hell that came from. I looked up one day and I said, dude, you I said, you got a cigarette in your mouth? I'm like, yeah, D, but I, I don't inhale. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Buff was a drinker. You know, Buff could down a, a, a bottle of Hennessy like his water. Um, he had like, him and DMC had like freaking iron lungs. Mark was a smoker. Um, Mark, you know, Mark, Mark was Mark. But Mark would take it to a step further. You understand what I'm saying? Mark would hang with the crowd that I'm trying to tell him to stay away from. Um, but he felt he had to, you know, stay with this crowd and because he was popular, you understand? So our manager, that didn't sit well with our manager because he didn't want to, to be on the front cover of the Daily News and fat, one of the fat boys is arrested at, at a drug house, some stupid shit like that. So he thought the group could be better without Mark. Like, you got Buff and you got Cool Rock. Um... And listen, this is the way he was explaining it to us. I'm not, I'm not going to sit up here and, and say we were cool with it and say, yeah, well, if we're making a hundred grand a show, I could keep fifty, you can keep fifty. You know, it wasn't like that. It was, it was more like the stuff he was saying was trying to fill our heads up. You guys can still go on. You, st- you guys can still do this, do that. I can get you so many things. I can do this and this. And we didn't agree with it. We're like, nah, we're good. You know, that's that's my childhood friend. That's one of my best friends. Yeah, this is my best friend, but that's one of my, that's, that's my other best friend. And plus, I knew him way before him. I knew Mark way before Buff. I didn't meet Buff till I was like maybe 12, 13 years old. I met Mark 
walk was seven, I was eight. So, um, so we didn't, we didn't let that fly. We, we couldn't fly with that. So that pretty much separated us from management, which was cool with us because we're like, okay, cool. Now we can do whatever we want because he's not looking over our shoulder. So that's why the on and on album for me was the best time we ever had. Even the first album with Curtis Blow, I think the last album was the best time I ever had with the group. Because I kind of like we stuck together, you know, we stuck together and we just had so much fun. We was inviting people into the studio, which we couldn't do before. Nobody could come in the studio. We was inviting all kinds of friends and having fun. So um, by the time the album came out, I don't know how much the album sold to this day. Um, by the time the album came out, um, there was nothing top 40 on it for him to push. So for him, it was like, these guys don't want to do this kind of shit no more. I guess they want to do what they want to do. So it's better to cut ties with them because they're not going to cut ties with Mark. And so that's just the way it was. Yeah. No. And then just when we get further into it, Mark, did, you know, he tells you you want to do to kind of do his own thing. You were happy with that. He goes on to do some production for uh, the Mariah Carey, Mary J. Blige, Real Love, which is crazy. Right. It really is talented. And, you know, then shortly after Buff passes away and I think he was working on a reunion album. And so were you guys, you three were definitely going to get back together again during that time? Or was it just you two working on the music? Oh, no, we were, we were all three. We okay. all made up our minds to do one last album. So we had Jermaine Dupree. We had Puffy. Um, we could have got a track from Dre at the time. Um, Corey Rooney was putting it all together for us. He worked with Mark um, on some of the projects he did with Mary J. Blige and Mariah Carey. And he was putting it all together for us to um, bring it through Sony. So Sony was going to do the last album for us. And, you know, just so just so happened, um, tragedy struck with Buff passing away. Yeah. And he was working on some music for the album, you know, in, in his studio, his home studio. So that kind of derailed the whole project um, because I didn't want to go further with the project without him. Um, so it was just. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. And, you know, you, you bring up Jermaine Dupree because Jermaine Dupree actually helped bring back Houdini for their album six. So it would have been amazing yeah. to see what would have happened with you guys. And, you know, it's just so unfortunate. And when we look at, especially what happened with Mark and just hearing about that story. Now, one was, cause I know with Buff, you saw him the day before he passed and you felt that something was off and then you found out and you went there and, and everything that happened there. But with Mark, how long was it that you kind of guys, cause I know you guys were close on the Instagram. I heard they used to tease him a little bit. So when was the last time that you kind of saw Mark before finding out the news? I saw Mark. Oh man. Mark passed in 2021. Last time I physically saw Mark. I want to say 2015, I think it was. Yeah, because I was living in Jersey. He was living in Miami. I had left Miami. I was living right down the block from Mark um, in 2013. Um, I had moved down to Miami. And just so happened, he lived right up the block. So sometimes I would go do my morning workouts in the park. He can see me from his balcony. And so he would like mock me what I was doing. Like he'll do like, oh, you know, he'll be yelling, yo, look at me. You know, that guy, he's a, he's a maniac. And so the last time I saw him, we did a show in North Carolina, I think, 2015. We did a show with, um, it was funny. It was funny because 
it was so cold that day too. We just so I didn't know to get that damn cold in North Carolina. And with me, him, and Kumo D, and we was ragging on Kumo D because he had said that he had freestyled the battle rhyme versus Busy B. I was like, man, get the fuck, you didn't freestyle that shit. So he's ragging on him. And he was, he had a stone face telling us how much he, um, he freestyled that rhyme. I'm like, there's no way in the hell you freestyled that rhyme. And um, so I remember that time, that was like the last time I actually saw him. Wow. Yeah, so it wasn't, like I said, I, I wasn't going back out to, to Miami. He wasn't coming to New York. So we just kept in touch. Um, the last time I talked to him was I texted him and I said, yo, what are you doing right now? He said, nothing. Why? I said, I'm about to call you. He's like, all right, cool. So I called him and I said, what would you think about doing a song? Because sometimes as an artist, right, you get that feeling, you know, city knows what I'm talking about because he's an up and coming artist. And you get that feeling and it shoots through you and you want to just be creative with something. And so I heard the song by Fatback Band called I Found Love. And I said, yo, we should do this, you know, play it over. Um, not sample it, just play it over. I'm like, yo, we could do something like this. And I had called him because I started writing rhymes to it. And I said, yo, what do you think about us doing a single, not an album, just a single, just to put it out, just to see what it does and get people talking and see, you know, create a buzz or something. And if everything goes right, we could put together an LP. So his answer to me was, why? He said, what will we be doing it for? And I went from here down to here because I, it dawned on me, what the hell, what were we doing it for? Why were we doing it for? You know, so I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, And it kind of just took all the energy out of me. Not him, but it just dawned on me what he said. Like, I never I never thought about that. Like, what would we be doing a record for, a song for? Mm. Um, and... I said, yeah, you're right. I said, I'll call you back. You know, I'll call you back. And calling him back is like, I'll call you back. And a month later, I'll pick up the phone. we pick up the conversation where it left off at. So that's that was how our relationship was. Yo, D, what you doing? Let me call you right back. And it'd be a long ass, you know, call you back because he won't call me back for damn near a month and a half. <laughs> so it was like vice versa. That's just the stuff that we did. So... When I got the call that he passed away, it was shocking. It was completely shocking because it's like, um, it, it just to this day, you know what I'm saying? To this day, you still, I still can't believe it because I didn't see that coming. I didn't see really see it coming with Buff. I just felt something was off that day when I left Buff. But with Mark, I didn't see that coming at all, you know, because Mark I always thought he would be. This old man still fucking chasing strippers or something crazy like that. I didn't think, you know, he loved life so much. Yeah. So um, when I, I think I turned my phone off or something, I turned it off. Sometimes I would turn my phone off at night because it'd be people texting me or calling me or whatever. And this particular day I had turned it off. And when I turned my phone back on the next morning, 
my phone would just buzz it, like text messages. And I thought there's notifications from like Facebook or something like that. But it was like just beeping, beeping, beeping. So I finally picked it up and I went to one of the text messages and Keith E.B., he, um, he was in a group with Fresh Gordon. If, anybody, if anybody's familiar with Fresh Gordon, uh, he had a group called uh, Fresh Gordon and the Choice MCs. So anyway, um, me, Keith E.B. and Mark became real close. So Keith, which I still follow on Facebook, he had... The only text I seen was his through all those text messages. He said, yo, Rock, Mark passed away. Call me. Because everybody else to me was blind. I was looking at text messages that said Mark passed away. But it didn't register to I seen his text message for some odd reason. So when he sent me that text, I went strictly to, like, an, you know, we're living in this age now, the internet age. And I went to Google. So I went to Google and it said, that's what it said it. And that's when I just looked at the phone and I dropped it. I'm like, oh shit. Like it, it like it, my heart like just was doing like it was just it was a crazy feeling. It was a crazy feeling. Yeah. You know. And my condolences. So, yeah, thanks, man. It was like and you know, I was telling City, it was only like three times in my life I ever broke down and cried. It was like Buff, my mother, and Mark. You know, my father passed, I didn't cry. You know, it was, I mean, it's not like I didn't love him. I love my father, but I just didn't cry. But when that hit me, it, it just hit me like, because it hit you like, yo, this is like, we actually were like brothers. We grew up together. It's like my, I got four brothers, me make five. It's like Buff and Mark was like my fifth and sixth brother, you know? And, you know, it's, it, it just, it's crazy. It was just crazy because you're looking at it like, this is three kids growing up on the block and being together damn near 24 hours a day. Cause after a while it was just me buff and Mark. Um, practicing. Um, there was really no outsiders coming to our circle after a while. Like our friends was more like, yo, that's just cool rock buff and Mark. Or they call me D ski at the time. That's just D buff and Mark, you know, let them be, you know, whatever. Um, so that was just us, us three together all the time. You know, we go right from school to Buff's house, practice, sit around and talk. Um, we do the same thing from Monday to Sunday. So that was just us. So, and then you go on tour and you see these characters 24 freaking hours a day, seven days a week, you can't miss them. So you got to see them every day. So that was just us. So when he passed, it was like, you know, it it just took. I, I can't even explain it because it just takes so much out of you. You know, it just takes so much out of you. And I don't know if a lot of people even even look at it like, you know, Jam Master J is gone from Run DMC. XTC is gone from Houdini. Um, um, educated rapper and Kango was gone from UTFO. You understand what I'm saying? Like these yeah. are the four groups of 1984. These are the four groups, and we all lost members. You know, uh, it, it's crazy, and you know, my condolences, rest in peace. The Fat Boys, the legacy, they live on, live on forever. You're carrying the torch, City. The Great is here. I want to. We we got to get you on here, man. We've been he's been <laughs> sitting on this wild history ride, but now I want to know what was your introduction to the Fat Boys? 
What was your well, let's just say this, bro. Because I know you want to do um interview city right now. Let me just say this about this individual. Um, what he's bringing to the table is just hard work. You understand what I'm saying? Like the reason why I don't mind rocking with him because he wants it. I ran into cats who you thought they wanted it. Like, all right, I'm gonna try to do what I can to to get you in the door. Then you start looking at their mannerisms. Like, nah, this guy don't want it. He just wants what it can bring him. He doesn't want it. He doesn't really want it. You understand what I'm saying? But looking at his work rate, he, you know, he does an album. He can do an album in a freaking week. The guy's a workaholic. So I looked at him, being special ed, looked at him like if there's anything we can do to help him out, it'll be it'll be an honor on our part. Because you're looking at somebody who really wants it. You know, and he's, he's talented not too. I, I'm not talented. a big fan of the of the new hip hop artists, and and I'm just I don't. The, a lot of the people that you see in the top charts today, they just don't represent the roots of hip hop. It, it's a joke. I'll stop it there. I, I want to keep it positive. But City <laughs> the Great is here. I I did hear his freestyle. He killed the freestyle. You guys worked together for Realigned and what yeah. New York sounds like. You were in the visual. I did see that. But City, the greatest here, man. You know, welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you here today. I know we did the intro at the beginning, but I man, kind of just get into your intro to the Fat Boys and, and linking up with Kuroksky here because I heard that it was through the management here. Kuroksky's manager. Uh, Well, basically, <laughs> my introduction to the Fat Boys was as a kid. My uncle's... um. Actually, so I had two other cousins. We grew up like brothers, right? Two of us are skinny, one is fat, you know what I mean? But <laughs> my, uncle, my uncle's like, we grew up around hip-hop. All we heard, that's all you can hear, you know what I'm saying? So my first introduction to hip-hop was really, three. it was three things. It was the Fat Boys, LL, and Run DMC, you know what I'm saying? So my uncle... We we used to uh he used to have me and my two cousins, we would as kids, we would rap, you know, can you feel it? Uh stick them. <laughs> we used to rap these as little <laughs> kids. You know what I'm saying? And they used to call us like, yo, the fat boys. I and the crazy part of the story is I used to be cool rock ski. That's funny. <laughs> I used to be cool rock ski. <laughs> So fast forward to years late, well, to a few years back, right? Uh, a mutual party that that we that we both knew um, had a uh, we both was working helping this individual out, and that individual actually introduced me and Cool Rock. You know what I'm saying? Because he was having the first uh, hip hop and R and B uh, classic cookout, which was in both of our neighborhood in East New York. Or whatever at Gersh Park, but for those who don't know, they call it like Linden Park and all this other, you know what I mean? But and that's how that's how me and Cool Rock met for the uh first time, which is like I said, it's mind blowing for me because it brought me back to you know being a kid and <laughs> you know not knowing that someday yo I'm a, I'm gonna actually work with you know what I'm saying. I'm gonna actually work with them. A certified Nation Entertainment. This is this is big. You know, you got the endorsement, and then just coming up under special ed. I mean, this is the roots of hip hop right here. And someone that you hold to a high level, I heard, is Ice Cube. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this how it happened. Uh, my older cousin Andre 
is how I wrote my first wrong, right? We used to religiously watch video music box. <laughs> Shout out to Uncle Ralph, you know what I mean? But we used to watch um video music box every day, right? And um I remember them playing straight out of Compton. Never heard nothing like this before, right? So I'm a kid, I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Wow, you know what I'm saying? So my cousin was old enough to get the um he had the he had the he had the uh straight out of Compton. He had the straight out of Compton and NWA and the posse. But <laughs> I wrote off of um, Fuck the Police, you know what I mean? So that was the first song I wrote off of, like, hearing that beat. Me and my cousin wrote, you know what I'm saying? I wrote a song about school because, you know, at that time, kids want to go to school, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but I wrote a, wrong about, a song about school, stay in school, kids, though, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, the first, of course, my first rap wasn't, you know, what it is today, but... You know what I mean? At that point, like, I just fell in love with it. I was like, oh, this is a way for me to kind of express myself. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So, but yeah, Cube, Cube was my favorite, uh, he was my favorite MC because it was something I'd never seen. And I'm a little kid, so I'm looking at it like, wow, like, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look at it because you, you rolled over Fuck the Police, Kurok Ski, you almost were the first one to have one of those records with Jailhouse Rap. You had to yeah. rewrite those lyrics. You were throwing shots at the cops, which was well deserved. Yeah. But uh -huh. <laughs> oh, damn, <laughs> yeah, Jailhouse Rap was um, Jailhouse Rap was 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 very very um. I mean, the stuff we were saying on that song wasn't even. I don't think NWA would even put that out. You know, fuck the police is one thing. We talk about killing cops. You know? so, Curtis Blow yeah. loved it. Curtis Blow loved it. He loved it. But when he the next day we came back to the studio, that's when he said, um, yeah, guys, y'all can't do this. We're gonna do the whole thing over. And we're like, why? You know, but can you imagine going from boot up sticking fat boys to shooting cops in the back because I had it like that? <laughs> People be like, "What? What is this going on?" Like, you know. <laughs> uh, City the Great. When we look at it, because you've had meetings with Chris and Irv Gotti, and that you just learning about the business side of things. So, talk to me about these meetings you would have with Chris and Irv Gotti, because you were learning the business, and that's the most important part of the part of the yeah. music industry is doing what you love and learning the business side of things, so you could profit off of what you love doing. Yeah, it wasn't so much an Irv, but it's more or less. So, what <laughs> happened was, um. The studio I was going to, Let's Flow Studio, is in Williamsburg. It had closed down. But when he closed down, he introduced me to um, Buck 3000 so that he could take on. Because I was in the middle of working on a mixtape. So in Buck 3000, that's Milwaukee Buck, for those who don't know. That was the engineer for Murder, Inc. He did everybody's album. He got the uh, Grammy for uh, Shanti's album. So Buck, I, I, I went over to the uh, Mix Factory in Manhattan. And um, met Buck, and you know I just vibed out. He had me sitting on a session that was going on for the Narco Text, and um, I just vibed out. And then finally, you know, he wanted to hit. He set me up a session, wanted to really hear me. So when I, <laughs> funny part, when I get there, right, he had some other cat there, and Buck actually had me battling this dude. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? He actually had me battling this dude or whatever. You know what I mean? And um, dude ran out of ammo. But after that, you know, we recorded. We recorded our first joints. And, um, yeah, he started to kind of 
introduced me to other things. This is before they had an Adventures, the Adventures music that Chris Scotty had started. Um, and when they first started up, I don't think it wasn't meant to be what it became, but it was more or less supposed to be like a label. It was a rebirth kind of what have you of Murder, Inc. And um, there was a few artists that there was like three artists that was on the table when I was one of them. Um, but I ended up not going into the contract. Was this with MIA with your group with Sony? No, that's before. That's when I was like, I was probably about like 15 years old. Okay. Yeah, this is this was later on. This was like about 20. I want to say this is around 2013. It's around 2013, 2012. It was right before Ed. It was right before I linked with Ed. And yeah, Adventures did their first uh, event. And that's where I got to meet Chris personally because he had heard about me through Buck. And we got to chop it up. And he was giving me a lot of jewels about the game and everything else. And just things that dealt with streaming. So that was like my first introduction to kind of like hearing some jewels about the business between them. You know what I mean? I met Irv, though. I met Irv that night, but I more or less got the jewels from Chris. You know what I mean? Yeah. You want to work with Eminem. That's that's a that's a monster right there. Little Wayne's describing them as being a monster. Yeah. I, I think you're ready for it. I think you're ready. Especially I think he want to match wits with Eminem, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think that's where he's at with it. I feel like I feel like it would be a, a, a great see still sharp and still, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like it would be great. Um a great test of both pens. You got two serious MCs, two students of the of the culture that are passionate about it. So I, I feel like we could create something crazy. You know what I mean? I definitely would like to uh bless a record with him. Definitely. Yeah, you know man. what I mean? Core RC, I gotta ask you, did you see this latest freestyle he just did? Did you just see did you see that? I didn't see the latest one. Oh, you gotta see it. Oh the script radio. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you said I think the new one. I just I seen the flip the script radio one. That's dope. That's dope. He he set that on fire, especially when the beat changed. Uh, I knew right away because you said you sent me because when you told me you want to bring your artist, I was like, I was like, who do you want to bring on? I looked and I was like, oh, this guy's hip hop right away. As soon as I heard the freestyle, (laughs) I was like, yeah, he's coming on here. I think it's 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 this delivery. You know, you get a lot of cats out here who are, and I hate to say this word, bringing um, real lyricism back um, because he never left. Um, I think the mainstream has taken this particular art form and made a mockery out of it and putting, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the artists that are out now, but a lot of these guys are being paid um, to do a lot of this, this um, kind of destructive kind of music. You understand? So, but you look at cats like City the Great and, you know, Kendrick Lamar and um, J. Cole, RJ Payne, um, you know, these guys is just, these guys, you listen to them rap and you can just sit back and just listen to them all day because it's like, these these are really, these are really, these are real MCs. You know, even Eminem, um, he's seasoned now. He was, I mean, like 50, 51 now, but he still can hang with the best of them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, on down to Black Thought. Um, Redman still popping. Redman hey, still popping. Nah. Uh, now nah, killing him right now too. Yeah, now yeah. I, I think right uh, Meth just did a freestyle. 
Meth just did a crazy freestyle. That's 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 dope. So um, it depends on what the industry wants to do. But at the same time, if you push for something hard enough, and if you push for something hard enough, it's a, it's like a scene in that movie X, Malcolm X movie, when Elijah Muhammad told Malcolm X, "If you feed them this, they'll take it. But you could also feed them this, and they'll take it." You understand what I'm saying? And that's where we're at with the music. You got to feed, if you keep feeding them, feeding them something, they'll have no choice but to get up on it. Um, every rapper's doing the same thing. Every female rapper's doing the same thing. Every male rapper's doing the same thing. But these guys who I just named, like Siggy and the whole list of these other guys, are separating themselves from the pack. You know, and the real hip hop heads are saying, Yo, we good over here. If that's what y'all want to do, we good over here. We're going to support them, you know? So um, there's room for everybody. I just don't like the fact that what they're pushing, especially to the young children, but to the young girls, and you hear even older people say they have no problem with some of these girls saying the lyrics they're saying. Oh, let them get their bag. They're getting their money. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, 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 I don't agree. At yeah. what price? Terrible. That, that's that's where we at. It's like at what price? You know what I'm saying? We do need some balance. You know what I mean? Right. We can't just be just that. If it's just that, then it's just like the thing we got to stop doing is letting them decide what the culture is that they didn't create. Right. right. You know what I'm saying? People are like, oh, this is the new. Nah, this is what they said it's going to be. This isn't what the street says. This isn't what the average person walking around, yeah. you know what I'm saying, right. in America says. This is just what they want to say is this is it and it's just going to get more and more wild and obscene and smoking wearing yeah but we, do need, we need we need some balances room for everything you know what i'm saying you can't have all evil you got to have some good <laughs> you know what i'm saying right 100%. And I look at it cuz I'm only 24 years old. I can't relate to too many people my generation and I look at it people my age and younger don't even know what beatboxing is. That's yeah. how yeah. far apart we've come from the art form of rap in today's yeah. so-called hip hop. They they don't know like the, the yeah. history. They don't know that we had beatboxing and DJing with vinyls right. and turntable. It's the elements of hip hop are gone now and it's it, it's just still here but it's being it's drowned out and it's being rewritten and the youth just, they don't care to. It's being ridiculed. It's being yeah. very ridiculed. And, and you say somebody doesn't know what beatboxing is. They haven't beatboxing tournaments throughout the world. Um, on the other side of the world, out over here. Yeah, probably um, overseas. Break, yeah, overseas. Like breakdancing over in Japan and Asia. This is why they're having the Olympics with breakdancing. It's still huge over there. Yeah. Over here, we take for granted any and everything. We throw it in the trash if we don't like it. We throw it in the trash if it's if it's if it's past a month or two months. Over there, they savior the freaking hip hop culture. They love it over there. They live that shit. You know what I'm thinking of? I think it's the fact that in like in America, like you figure we believe we're free, right? But we're more controlled and programmed. Um, society, whereas though these people in these other countries and stuff, you know, like how people will go to these other countries and they'll be like, man, I look at life different. I feel like they got more free thought. You know right. what I mean? Free thinking. Um, living more in reality. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's why yeah. they embrace the culture more and they're like, oh, this is something that speaks to me. You know what I'm saying? And they're not as 
programmed and brainwashed as we are over here. Not at all. I I, I look. Listen, I saw an um I saw something on YouTube this morning. A rapper in Holland was murdered at 26 years old. He was like the Biggie Smalls in Holland. I mean, think about that shit for a minute. And he was like the Biggie Smalls in Holland. Then they talked about his affiliation with the clique he was in. Like they was transporting drugs. They was doing they was doing all the shit that we do up here. Yeah. And it was he was a rapper down there. He got murdered the same way Biggie Smalls got murdered. It's always B.I.G. got murdered in a car. Mm. So they're imitating anything and everything we're doing over here. Yeah. Anything that we throw out, they they catching it. They said, oh shit, this is what they're doing over there now. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? But then you have the hip hop culture in places like France, in Asia, in Japan, in Germany, in UK, that love pure hip hop, that don't even mess with anything remotely close to what we're messing with over here. Yeah. Like, nah, I don't listen to that. I want to listen to some, I want to listen to this, I want to listen to that. I'm still yeah. I'm still hung up on Run DMC. I'm still hung up on Wu-Tang. I'm still hung up on early Jay-Z. You understand what I'm saying? So, but, you know, America is a huge influence to the rest of the world. So anything that we do, anything anything we put out, they're going to gobble up, you know. But if they see BET and they see a girl on stage pregnant and twerking and it's in the Black community, they're going to look at that like, this is what I'm keeps telling people all the freaking time about this social media. This is not domestic. This shit goes around the world. Yeah. So what you put out and you start going overseas and they're going to look at you like what this look like. Hey, aren't you supposed to be dancing, acting stupid and fighting? <laughs> because that's what you're putting on the freaking Yeah, internet. that's what we're showing. Yeah. You know? But we don't get it. We're still putting out the dumb idiotic content. We're still putting out the dumb idiotic songs. We're still putting out these dumb images. That's not, that's really not hip hop. That's that's what you call, I don't know if you call that shit rap. You know what I'm saying? No. You know, so I don't know what it is, but um, who who would have known in 2024 this culture even still be here? Um. Yeah. I didn't, I, didn't, I, hadn't, I mean, I can't sit up here and say, yeah, I knew it was going to be a hit. No. I thought by 92, 91, 92, it was a rap, especially in New York. I was like, yeah, look, this is about to be a rap. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is going to be a street thing, you know? But, um, I, I'm not surprised. I think I'm I'm surprised because I look at you guys as such a foundational piece. You just see it. It was evolving. You know, Rakim, Biggie, you saw all this stuff. It was elevating now to the point where it's like it's going down. I mean, w- the way mainstream portrays it, it's going yeah. down. Yeah, it's going down. It's like it's going, yeah. Right. But then you get, like I said, like I just said, you, you know, like we just mentioned, you get an artist like C.D. the Great, you get an artist like um, J. Cole to make you say, oh man, it's still here. It's still, it's still here, yeah. You know, it, it, they still doing some, they still saying something I want to hear. They're not just doing the normal, you know, Draco, Draco, I kill your whole family bullshit. You know, they're, yeah. they're really saying something. <laughs> you know? and, and think about Drake, because Drake, 
I have my discrepancies with him. I think he makes great music. And there's times it's like, okay, you're doing what's trendy. He sampled you guys. He sampled the fat boys. Yeah, that was a pretty nice check for us. Yeah, too. yeah he, he did a little. <laughs> he did a little um, and I'm just like a little brutal stick him, ha ha ha, stick him um, in the song. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's even with artists like Drake, when I think it was most deaf who said he wasn't hip hop. Yeah. And Drake, Drake is hip hop. Drake just not doing, Drake just not doing Miss Fat Booty the way you like him to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why yeah. he was, he's not hip hop. He's not doing respiration the way you want him to do it. You know what I'm saying? So, but when it comes down to it, Drake is a good artist. He's yeah. a great artist. Um, you know, Benzino goes on about Eminem, how he doesn't like him and how just that, but all that stuff is just for, you know, Benzino probably has a project coming out. So he has to attack Eminem because Eminem still has a stranglehold on this culture and the fact that he has a huge, huge fan base. So um, why not attack some, he's not going to attack a Nas, he's not going to attack a Jay-Z because they're not going to listen to him, you know, but he knows Eminem is with the shit. If you want me to answer back to you, I'll answer back to you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that was not going to turn down the battle, especially with a Benzino, which yeah. you can crush, you know, within <laughs> seconds. But um, he can say all he wants. Oh, he's not part of this culture. He's not. Eminem is a student of this culture. Eminem is a, is a student of the culture. You understand what I'm saying? When he can get on the podium at the Rock and Roll um, Hall of Fame Awards and name every rapper known to man, you know, because I know a lot of my, 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 my people who got on stage and never even mentioned fat boys or skinny boys or P, um, Schoolie D. Come on, let's be honest. Eminem yeah. went up there and named every rapper known to man. He's a student of the game. He's a student of the game. He, he can break down Treacherous lyrics on down to LL's lyrics on down to Redman lyrics. Um, so you can't tell me that he's a, a guest in the culture. He's part of the culture. He, he, you know, he put the culture on his back and he's still running with it. So um, you can't tell me who's hip hop and who's not hip hop if all you're doing is destructive kind of music. Because that's to me, that's not hip hop. If you're talking about killing the next person, if you're talking about selling drugs and all this stuff like that, how can you call that hip hop and turn around and say, well, he's not part of hip hop because he's not doing that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. He's not talking about killing nobody. So he he's not he's not using the N word. So how can he be hip hop? Uh, you know how dumb you sound. You know so um you know so like so it, it's like everybody comes into this culture, they make a a small impact or a big impact, and then they get it in their mind that they are the the stars. There's no stars in this shit. Everybody has their time to shine, then it's on to the next person. You understand what I'm saying? We had our run. Run DMC had their run. Everybody had a run at this shit. And then you move on to the next artist, you know? Yeah. Um, that's just the way it is. That's the way music is, period. You know, yeah. Britney Spears is hot as, as hot as fish grease at one point. You know, um, 50 Cent was hotter than freaking 4th of July at one point. So, but somebody else comes along. It takes you to another to new heights or whatever. That's just the way music is, you know. So that's just the way it is. And and you You got got into the Long Island when we look at the because you mentioned Eminem, you know, and just the Hall of Fame and everything. 
you got into the Long Island Entertainment Music Hall of Fame too. Fat Boys, they got in there. Congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks a lot for that. Uh, I think um, definitely thank Long Island um, Hall of Fame, Music Hall of Fame, for putting this down with that. Um, I wanted to see the group inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, but the more I look at it nowadays, it's like somebody told me the other day, Willie Nelson is not inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Crazy. And I said, well, shit, if Willie Nelson's not in there, how the fuck are we going to get in there? <laughs> but you turn around, you see Eric B. and Rakim being nominated. Not saying they're going to get in. Um, Tribe Called Quest is being nominated. I think they're nominated for like this is their third year being nominated. But um, who knows? Maybe one day I could be on the podium representing the group and, you know, inducting them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, we're being inducted into the Hip Hop Museum April, I think April 5th, if I'm not mistaken, in Washington, D.C. So, um, so yeah, but, you know, getting back to an artist like C.D. the Great, who has, um, he has the project coming out. You know, he has some, some dope songs coming. And he's worldwide, you know, not, not worldwide. He's well-rounded. He's well-rounded with his music. He's, he's not just sticking to one topic. So he does a song called New York Sounds Like This. And then he goes, he has another song called Shake, you know, which is like a clubs kind of song. So he's, he's he, he knows... He knows what he wants to do with his music. He knows he's not going to stay in one particular box, but he's going to stay a lyricist, but he doesn't have to stay in that one particular box. No. You know, and that, that's the mark of a good artist who knows he has no boundaries, you know. When are you planning on releasing this new project? Oh, the syllabus. Um, so we're shooting for June. No, no dedicated date yet, but we're shooting for June. Got some dope features on there. Got a uh, Got the man Kurowski himself on there. Got him, Mikey D. I got DMC. I got DMC. Um, yeah, I got I got uh Mickey Fax. I got Kid Vicious, uh Royce the Five Nines brother. I got uh you know my certified team. You know uh James Taylor. It's only right. Shout out to J Law, Aka Hendrix. You know what I'm saying uh. Yes, yeah, it's, it's what what I did with it. It's called the syllabus because it's like a curriculum on on how to rap. You know what I'm saying? We touched every um, <clears throat> we touched every style you can t you can think of, beat selection wise, production wise, and utilized it to add lyricism to it, right? To show that lyricism can exist in any dimension. You know what I mean? And, and and it's all sonically it fits, you know what I mean? It's a lot of hard work went into this, you know what I mean? So we're shooting for around there, got the New York Sound Like uh single that's been popping off since last year. And now we're dropping um <clears throat> the shake joint, which a lot of people are gonna probably look at it like, oh, is he talking about shaking boot? It's shaking the game up, you know what I'm saying? Right. Okay, listen to the words <laughs> once again. <laughs> you know, we got the Shout out to uh, my man U Dub Matt from New York Bangers. He's he uh actually produced the beat on that. You know what I'm saying? Fire! No, nah, yeah. we got to get you back on the show once you release this album. Now, is this under Certified Nation Entertainment? Is this the this is the label? Uh, Certified Nation Entertainment is 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 my entertainment company. 
And what we do is we service artists. Um, we're, we're teaching them, you know, the business aside from just giving them mm -hmm. services. You know what I mean? Whether it's mixing and mastering, whether it's, you know, uh, marketing, anything like that. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching and we're educating because the information isn't there. You know what I'm saying? But it will be everything I release, of course, has that certified stamp on it. Um, we're also it's distributed through EQ distribution, Rock Nation. You know what I mean? So we'll be everywhere. You, there's nowhere you can't find it. You know what I'm saying? I got a, I got a, I got a project out right now. Um, we just dropped in December. Uh, it's 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 a joint project with me and uh Rain. Rain is from uh Michigan, Flint, Flint, Michigan. Should I say? Uh. Crazy <laughs> lyricist, crazy lyricist, you know what I'm saying? And it's real hip hop. It's called the Guillotine. That's out right now. Mm. I expect yeah. these things to be played on the in the radio stations. They better be. I mean, the, I know the satellite radios will do it, but I what New York yeah. sounds like is yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. here in New Actually, York out of these New York hip hop stations. You're not. I'm yeah, sorry to like, say. We, yeah. we 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 plan on, you know, we're gonna strong arm it a little something, you know what I'm saying? Because this is the thing, it's like all right, New York sound like got love, you know what I'm saying? I, I could say it got some love on once again satellite radio rock the bells. Um DJ Epps, major shout out to DJ Epps because he he broke the record and gave the record a, the momentum it needed to bring us to where we are today. You know what I'm saying? He'll be breaking the next joint as well. Um but yeah, satellite satellite has been is in is it difficult but when you talk in new york radio the fm stations have like a hold you know what i'm saying so we're just trying to see who's gonna be the first to break some new music for the culture you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they scream it we might as well live it you know what i'm saying let's see who who you know who really did we're for the culture all right well let's see this is right this is backed by the cultures by the pioneers they're the culture they started this so you know what I mean? We'll see. Yeah. Well, what else do you have on the way? Is that it? Besides the, pre I know you got the project out now. You got the, the upcoming the syllabus. What else do you or do you have that you want to let people know about? Um, definitely shows. You know what I mean? We're um and I'm taking we're, we're taking bookings as well right now. You know we're <laughs> trying to fill up the calendar. You know what I mean? Shows. Um, you know I got some things going on. We got some things going on with the community. We have the uh. This will be the third, yeah, the third uh, annual hip hop and R&B classic cookout in East New York, Gershwin Park. You know, brought to you by Cool Rock Ski, brought to you by Certified Nation, brought and sponsored, but sponsored by UFC Dana White. White. And yeah. we, you know, and while we're here, I definitely want to give a um rest in peace and shout out to Venus Mazel because when it all started, she was on the forefront and she got yeah. this um she got the whole cookout off the ground and running, you know what I'm saying? So definitely um we're gonna, you know, do something real nice for her in memory of her this year. Um right. we also got uh you know, like I said, we've got the Young and Informed to just join Certified Nation Entertainment. The Young and Informed are kids that know in Matthew, they're 12 and 14 years old from Queens, and they're running the youth section of 
uh, certified nation and their kids informing kids through the culture, through hip hop. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's a lot of things that we have coming this year that um are going to be great for, you know, the culture and the whole community. So that that's that's basically where I'm at with it. You know, we got artists, too. Like I said, we got J-Law, Aka Hendrix is dropping a project this year as well. You know what I mean? It's only right with the write your own history. Um, you know what I'm saying? So we got a lot going on. I could tell. Yeah. And you're ready. I could tell just yeah. by the energy. Oh. I could tell by just the freestyles. I could just tell by the singles. Yeah. It's ready. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to lead by example because I want to show people that the end game is like, I want to show people you don't have to compromise to get there. You just got to be serious about your craft, sharpen your tool, and put in that hard work and dedication. You know what I'm saying? Right. Be confident and not cocky. You know what I'm saying? And, um, that, that's what I'm trying to show people. I'm trying to lead by example and show people you could be great. I don't have a problem helping out others because I think one of the problems we have in this culture is that everybody wants to hold everything to themselves. You know what I'm saying? But you see, I feel like I'm securing my spot where it's though like what I do for the next man won't hurt me. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm Wherever I'm destined to be is where I'm going to be. You know what I mean? So... We need to, we need to, and I want to be part of an era, you know, whatever happened to eras, like, you know what I'm Yeah, we don't have eras right. anymore. We don't have classic yeah. albums anymore. It's, yeah, we need that. We yeah. Try, yeah, we trying to lead by example. That's all, you know what I mean? Hopefully, you know, you, the the people enjoy the syllabus. Yeah, and I know they will. <laughs> they, they will, 100%. And, you know, when we look at it, you got so much on the way. You got the Mad Max stamp. That's all that matters because yeah. I heard it. You got my co-sign for sure. Just everything I've seen and heard so far from you. So you, I just know that you're well on your way and big things are going to happen for you. And, you know, lyricists, that's the one thing is that they're timeless. And I don't believe in ageism in hip hop. I think that's a bunch of bullshit. If you want to ask me, yeah. like, I don't, I don't understand why the young audience and people do that. Oh, you're too old. Yeah. Okay. It's crazy, but I, I see you lasting a long time in this game and you're going to go on and do phenomenal things. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. And Thank cool you for Rock's having key. me on, man. That's, that's yeah, of course. Hey, I told to you, Black. when you drop the <laughs> syllabus, you got to come back on. I want you on for a solo yeah. interview. Yeah, so definitely. We could, so we could talk about the syllabus and then, you know, nice. I, I get into a deep discussion about the subject matter on the syllabus and everything you got on the way. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, man, it was my pleasure. It's my job as a DJ and, and someone that is a student of the game myself that loves hip hop and, you know, comes from that environment. To put on what's real in hip hop, you know, I I know as a journalist, I do have to please the audiences and put on a lot of these mainstream guys. But I understand how difficult it is for the lyricists to make it in this day and age. And it pisses me off because when I'm off the air, I'm not yeah. tuned into the top 40. I'm not tuned into it. I'm listening to what you're doing. I'm listening to right. the legends. I'm not tuned into it. And I'll admit that I'm in here. So it, what yeah. we have out here is not hip hop, what they're calling it right now. But what you guys have done is represent for many years and city, the greatest carrying on the torch and cool rock ski, man. Uh, is there anything else you, you have on the way? I think you said that you had the, the fat boys biopic is in the works and the documentaries, all that. I was hearing that, that, that yeah. you had that in the works, right? I just wanted to touch on what else works. you had on the way. Uh, the docu's in the works. Um, <laughs> I don't want to put it out there right now. Who's working with me on it. Um, but we know. 
it's, it's set in stone. I'm going to put it all over the internet of who's working behind me with it. And um, yeah, so we're, go, we're going to try to get that out, then move from that into the biopic, um, one or the other. Um, so yeah, we got that out. Just, just going to be doing some, doing some things in the coming months. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm not one of those guys that say, um, got some big things coming, you know, next thing you know, I'm 2025, got some big things coming. So, um, I let the chips fall where they may. Um, and hopefully God, I can get this documentary out. That's the one thing I want to put out, um, for the group and, and get them solidified and let a whole new audience know who, what this group was all about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. First, the fat boy's going to break up, right, with Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> Every day I wake up. Do you have a Jay- did, did you ever run into Jay-Z after that? Any chance after he put that no. in the song? No, no. I, I didn't run into him. Um, we knew Jay ever since, like, 80, 85, oh, yeah. 86. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a small, like I told City, the hip-hop community is a small circle. People might think it's big because a lot of people that you've seen coming up, um, you know, they, they came out years later, you know, so it's a, you know, Onyx, new Onyx where they were still cutting hair and doing club dances, you know, wearing the big shoes and the house shoes and all that shit. So we knew them. Um, it's a really small circle. So, you know, Jay, we knew, I knew Jay-Z from Jazz O. Yeah. That's how we knew Jay-Z. We used to go to Fresh Gordon House and Jay-Z would be sitting there quiet, didn't say much. But, you know, years later, he kind of put his stamp on the game. I mean, a lot of people just came and went, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people just did their thing and went. And you know, once again, that's just the way it is in music. Yeah. You know, he was chasing Thriller to the day he left his earth. So I'm saying, so it's like your popularity soars and then it just comes down. You know, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Things will never be the same, just like Tupac's song there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I mean, what you put out, the first thing that you put out as an artist, the first project or album or single or LP, you'll never recapture that moment again. No. Yeah, you could put out something bigger and better, way bigger and better. You could put out something that, that sell astronomically. But I'm talking about the hunger, the hunger that you had in that studio as being in that, being in that studio at two, three o'clock in the morning, just joking around, coming up with ideas. You'll never capture that part again, you know? No, you won't. Kurokski, man, it's City the Grey. I want to thank you guys for joining the show here tonight. You guys are always welcome on the show. Thank you for everything that you do for hip hop, have done, and continue to carry on this legacy because it's, it's an amazing thing just seeing both of your journeys and, the future of hip hop. Yeah. He's yeah. he's got a lot on the way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, um, it, they gotta follow you on Instagram at Cool Rock Ski. They gotta follow you there. I think you have Twitter too, Facebook. Um, I never used Twitter. I think I made one Twitter. Um Yeah, I, tweet, I did whatever. see that. You haven't used it, I think, from since 2020, I was saying. It's been a couple years. Oh, I think it's been out since 2014. Yeah. That Twitter page, I never even used it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I was never big on Twitter. Mm. Reason, you know, Lucky Devin Kulopsky on, on 
and I got the Kurok Ski page on IG. And of course, um, Facebook, Damon, I use Facebook a lot because that's more of my crowd. Kurok Wembley on Facebook. Yeah. And City the Great, they can follow you on Instagram at City the Great, and you have a Twitter too. Yeah, all of my stuff is City the Great. I'm, I'm probably like the easiest person to find. <laughs> yeah, that's man. good. Keep, keep it light. You know what I'm saying? I want to make sure that people can, um, people can definitely find me, but yeah, city, the great, and I'm not a ghost follower or a ghost account. You, you follow me. I follow back. I also, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I interact, I engage, you reach out to me, you know, I reach back, you know, Listen, you better catch him now. Better catch him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah give me while you can. And give me while you uh, can. You know how this goes, dog. So <laughs> with artists, yeah. um, you got to catch them where they're still on the ground. Once they start to levitate. And yeah. And that's just the way it goes. It's not they're being assholes or being um egotistical. That's just the, Yeah. It is. They just get busy. They get real busy. And it's like they, they don't have time for it anymore. You know. Yeah. So catch him, catch him when he's warm. Because once he gets hot, that's it. You know what I'm yeah, there's, there's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be, it might be a wrap. You know what I'm saying? But, but I'm, I, I still try my hardest to, um, you know, stay in touch with the people. I try to take the people with me on the journey. You know what I'm saying? And, right. Um, advise them as I can. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just about making change. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah, follow follow your boy, City the Great. T H E, not D A. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but thank you guys for coming on the show. You're both always welcome on. I look forward to seeing everything that you have on the way. All right, brother. Thanks a lot for having us. Thanks for having us. Of course. Anytime, guys. Enjoy the rest of your night. Same Thanks. to you, King. Peace. Peace.